Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 11th of March 2018, entitled My Fair Lady, and the Bible reading is taken from Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1, to chapter 5, verse 1. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to be opening your Bibles for the scripture reading this morning to the Song of Solomon, um, a short book in your Bible. Uh, one that uh, I guess is not uh, often turned to even. Um, let me read you a couple of verses and then make a couple of comments about it. And I'd like to read for your hearing this morning, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, and reading through chapter 5, verse 1. 17 verses. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word as we take reading from Song of Solomon, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, which came up from the washing whereof every one bare twins, and none is barren among them. Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet, and thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within the, thy locks. Thy neck is like the tower of David, builded for an armory, whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of Mighty men, thy two breasts are like two young roes that are twins which feed among the lilies until the day break and the shadows flee away. I will get me to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana and from the top of Shenir and from Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse. How much better is thy love than wine and the smell of thine ointments than all spices. Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue, and the smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shot up, a fountain sealed. The plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, camphor with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, thou south. Blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. I am coming to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. 
Father, we thank you for your word that we have before us this morning. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you could help us just to grasp a few of those nuggets that you have for us there this morning. Help us, Lord. Speak to us as only you can. And we'll give you all the thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Song of Solomon is an interesting book indeed. In the introduction to the Song of Solomon in my Bible, it has this statement. It says, Nowhere in Scripture does the unspiritual mind tread upon ground so mysterious and incomprehensible as in this book. While the saintliest men and women of the ages have found it a source of pure and exquisite delight. You see, the interpretation of the Song of Solomon is twofold. You know, first of all, it is a book that is an expression of what pure marital love is to be as ordained by God. We live in such a sin-cursed world that if we're not careful, even reading some of the words, <gasps> we are shocked because the world has made them bad. The world has changed them from love to lust. The world has taken it from that which God meant from such beauty and has made it vile in many cases. But as we read here, we find this relationship between husband and wife, as God meant it to be, something that is, that is more special than any other relationship upon this earth. But we well know that of all the relationships, that that is also the relationship that we, as believers in this church age, that we, as the bride of Christ, and he, our bridegroom, that two becoming one, that state of holy matrimony, and that is the second way that the Song of Solomon is given to us, and that's why that it's so precious because it is this interpretation also of Jesus Christ and his heavenly bride, the church. Because you see, in reality, there should be no difference. In reality, that's why he uses that picture for us. It's because of what... He wants it to be. I've entitled our thoughts today, My Fair Lady. Now, some of you may have heard that term used before, other than in the Bible. I'm taking it from several parts as we begin. Behold, thou art fair, my love. My Fair Lady was first uh, introduced in 1913 by the great writer George Bernard Shaw, or George Bernard Shaw, whichever way you want to pronounce it. I even asked our own Bernard, do you prefer to be called Bernard or Bernard? He said, I don't care. He said, whichever way it comes. We certainly hear that name pronounced both ways. But of course, it became much more familiar when that writing was made into a play uh, in 1964, I think it was, somewhere around the uh, uh, around that time, I meant to write the date down. Yeah, 1964. I've got to hear a bunch of my scribble in the, uh, in, in the sides. Uh, and, of course, that was when this learned professor was going to take this cockney flower girl 
And he was going to turn this plain, simple, cockney flower girl into somebody that all could see as a fine lady. He was going to teach her how to talk. He was going to refine her from simplicity to something to be adorned. I've chosen that title because as we look at this passage today, you know, the Song of Solomon truly is a love song. It's a love song sung by two lovers to each other. In this case, it was the shepherd king, Solomon, and the Shulamite maiden. Solomon first appears as a a young shepherd that falls in love with this outcast Shulamite girl. He promises that he will come again one day to marry her. And in his absence, she dreams of that day that he's coming back. She dreams of that reunion that comes one day. And of course, when he returns to her surprise, when he comes back, he comes back not as the shepherd Solomon, but as King Solomon. He's accompanied by this entire entourage, and he takes her back to Jerusalem in his royal coach to become his bride. And as we think on those things, it really serves as that beautiful picture of Christ's love for us, the outcast Gentiles, because we were the outcasts. We weren't even considered worthy to this world to become his bride, (laughs) the church for whom he also promises to return one day. And when he returns one day, I have news for you, they were looking for him the first time to come in as a king upon the throne when he came as a baby in the manger. But when he returns, he is returning as the king, and he will sit upon his throne. Chapters 1 and 2, we really find a description of the, the courtship of these two. In chapter 3, it's the procession for the marriage. And then in chapter 4, where we want to direct our attention, it's really the consummation of that marriage, of those two becoming one, the joy of the union that is there. And you see, this Mother's Day, I hope that as we look at this passage here, as we learn from this relationship, that God has given us the picture of some of the valuable lessons that are held here that will help us in our true appreciation for the godly woman, for those that we call mother. Some of you here today are mothers. Some of your sons and daughters and husbands. I hope we don't have any wives of any wives here, but we all. We wouldn't be here without our mothers. And it gets into an awesome thing because I realize full well that these days that are set aside sometime that though we want to find joy and happiness there, sometimes they can also bring heartache and sadness. I'm privileged to still have my mom with me in this world. But some of your moms have gone on. Some of us are still privileged to have our spouse that we're reading about here, the mother of our own children with us, and some of you they've passed on. But I want 
I want to remind you of this this morning. I know that sometimes those memories, they can hurt. They can be painful. But oh, thank God for them. Thank God for them. I tried to, to assure those on Wednesday that's one thing that why were people hurting so much? Only because of the great love. You see, the only way you can do away with that hurt is to do away with the love. You wouldn't want to do away with their memory to this day. I've shared with some of you, until we painted the wall, we've got to get it back up, but I still have a photograph of my dad hanging on the wall in our living room, even though that he's been gone for many years now, since 1985. But you know, that still, it reminds me of my dad in the special place that he had in my life and heart. So today, I realize, but rather than the sadness, allow it to remind you of the preciousness of that one that you love. Allow it to remind you of that great love and how that you really wouldn't take anything for that. We could look at all kinds of passages, and I guess over the years you've heard me look to different things about honor and obedience and affection and, and all those things, but today I felt the Lord was directing us to look at this, this beautiful love story that's recorded for us. And hope that there's something there that this Mother's Day can just remind us, remind us in a special way of how special that our moms are. Something to make it better for mothers and fathers, for wives and husbands, for, for sons and daughters, and for every child of God as we are also reminded that this beautiful picture that we're given here of what this earthly relationship is, is to be like is also the same beautiful relationship that we can have as the bride of Christ today. And I hope and pray that you know in your hearts that you are part of the bride of Christ. And if not, today, this Mother's Day, you may be male or female. You may be young or old. But I can assure you this. Jesus' invitation to you is sure and real today. Now, let's look at a few things as we look at this passage. And I, I, I can only just pick a few nuggets out of there for you today. Notice, first of all, in, in verses 1 through 6 of our reading, I mean, just look at some of these descriptions. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Dove's eyes is not a bad thing. We even speak of those today and sometimes say that people have, have dove's eyes. We find that Solomon here is describing, first of all, the outer appearance of his bride. And, of course, we find that some of the terms that he uses as terms of endearment, we may not find quite as, as endearing to us today, but I hope you can see what he is saying, you see, from head to toe. Solomon found his beloved, as we sang there earlier, incomparably beautiful. She was like no other that his eyes had ever laid eyes upon. The features as he looked upon her. And you know, every one of you today, 
You know, we could go through all kinds of lists and we could talk about how good or how bad that our mothers were and our fathers were and our, and our parents and how that the some may never have even known their blood parents. But we could look and we could define all of these things, but one thing is absolutely certain. Regardless of how they excelled or failed in their jobs as parents, you would not be here today without them. Your children would not be here today without them. You cannot possibly be who you are. Yes, God created all life, but he did this wonderful thing in bringing man and woman together, and that new life that comes out is a part of both of them. There's nobody else in all the world by way you would have been created as you are except through your parents, and God made you special, and God made you unique amongst all the others out there. And as Solomon is looking at his bride, there is nobody else in all the world, and there's not. And there's nobody else in all the world like you today. There was nobody else like his bride. And by the same token, there is no one else in the eyes of our Lord like his bride that he gave himself for. He tells us, he tells us even down here, yes, he tells the wives to submit themselves to their husbands, but he goes right on to tell the husbands to love your wives as Christ loved his wife, his bride, his church, and gave himself for it. I promise you this, if you'll love your wife to the extent that no matter what you'd be willing to lay your life down in an instant, you're not going to have to make her love you. You're not going to have to make her respect you and honor you as the husband. We need to love in that same way. Eyes like a dove's eyes. Would you find that attractive today? Your husband says, honey, you're like no other. You've got the eyes like a dove. Now, if he said it was like a pigeon, you probably wouldn't be as impressed, right? I mean, you know, the poor guy, he's just the wrong color. He looks just like the dove, except he's gray instead of white. But uh, dove's eyes, there's something special about that. You know, they're meek and they're affectionate. And in reality, what it is, is, is that which is within coming forth through those eyes. Now, I'm not sure if you would like the latter part of that verse quite as well. Oh, thy hair is as a flock of goats. <laughs> they appear from Mount Gilead. Would you like your husband to tell you that your hair was like a flock of goats? <laughs> I mean, this is like her beauty is incomparable to anybody else in the world. And her hair is like a flock of goats. Well, picturing a veil of covering gracefully, that modesty, that lack of self-assertiveness, of, of putting others first, her hair is like... A flock of goats. He's seeing her, not only in the beauty of that love flowing through her eyes, but in her modesty of not trying to bring attention to herself, but trying to be modest and being a person of love rather than a person of flashiness. He likes this too. He says in the next verse, Oh, honey, thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn. <laughs> honey, your teeth are like a sheep. <laughs> They're numerous. There's plenty of them, okay, like a, like, a, like a flock of sheep. 
And like that newly shorn lamb, they're clean. There's not all that green stuff hanging out of them. Honey, oh, I'm glad you got a mouthful of teeth and they're, they're clean and they're bright. They're not set on edge like those that have eaten all the sour grapes and uh, you can see them in, in, in their mouths. <laughs> they're not spoiled by eating a bunch of stuff that's not good for them. And they're not vile like a, they, he could have said they're like a lion's teeth that are ready to devour anything, but it was meant as an awesome, awesome compliment. He goes on also in verse 3 and he says, Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet and thy speech is comely. They're well colored. They're well defined. She's speaking the right language. She's speaking the right words. You see, it's the, faith, it's the language of that, that faithful that nobody else, I mean, somebody else can say those same words, but when they come from the lips of that one, it has that special place in your heart that nobody else can hold. He loves to hear her speech. He loves to hear her, her love that comes forth and not corrupt communication. You see, to him, it's the same kind of speech that really that we need to come to Christ. The right speech, it doesn't draw attention to the speaker. It doesn't draw attention to self, but that which is being spoken of. She is like no other. She is, has a beauty that is incomparable to, to anybody else. The love that's flowing through her eyes, the modesty in her in her dress and her apparel and the way she looks, the teeth, the teeth that are there, the, the speech that comes forth, defining those that she loves. He says also in verse 3, thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. Well, if you've ever seen pomegranate and all that little tiny, tiny red stuff, I'm not sure... Pomegranates all in your, in your locks may not be uh, the most appealing thing that you'd like to hear. But here, what it really is referring to is, is that well-developed wisdom. Wisdom. He sees her. He sees her as, as, as being wise. And, and guys, if you're married, you'll see the wisdom of your wife that she speaks sometimes, and it'll keep you out of a whole lot of trouble if you'll just recognize it. But that's really, I <laughs> only got one amen. <laughs> Some of you still got a lot to learn, praise the Lord. <laughs> Notice what he says in verse 4. Thy neck is like the tower of David, builded for an armory whereon there hang a, a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. He's not talking about where the Bible speaks in other places of being stiff-necked. Matter of fact, just the opposite. She's strong. She's dignified. You know, as all Christians today, whether you're male or female, you don't have to walk through this world with your head down. You can stand tall. She's dignified like no other. That's the way as the bride of Christ. You ought to walk through this world dignified. Not proud of yourself, but proud of your groom. Proud of the one that you're there that you love with all of your heart. Proud of Jesus Christ. Proud that you belong to him that he loves you, and you love him. Verse 5, sometimes in our world, 
We think he's getting a little bit too familiar here. Thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins which feed among the lilies. Because the world has made the lust of man for woman into such a dirty thing. And of course, I got to say this, ladies, the one that's being described here is not the one that goes around dressed in a way that they're drawing attention in the wrong way to themselves. He's already expressed her, her modesty and her, her appeal, you know, to, to be there in, in the right way. But this is a symbol of affection. It's a symbol of the vigor of youth. It's a symbol of the warmth of that love that doesn't compare to any other. You know, it's like, it's, 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 it's like when, when Shelly and Rob decided to get married. <laughs> You know, there, there's all this, this, this funny stuff that goes on inside of you when it's, when, it, when it's your daughter because there's a special love there that's like no other in all of the world. And, and, and we say it lighthearted, but I didn't totally mean it lightheartedness when Rob and I talked that day. And, you know, I, I asked of him, I said, just love her like I love her. <laughs> love her with all your heart. I said, if you love her like I love her, if you treat her like she deserves to be treated, I'll be the best friend you could ever have in all this world. But I also told him, if you don't, I'll be his worst nightmare as well. <laughs> now, I'm not bigger than him, but I can still be a nightmare <laughs> in my little self. <laughs> but the thing is this, folks, that didn't change because they became husband and wife. It didn't change my love for my daughter and her love for me, hopefully, but it's a different love. There is no other love like that. It doesn't mean that you love somebody else less because you love somebody else more. We get this all confused. It's, it's, it's just like another thing that we talked about is you can never, ever, ever, no matter how much you try. I've met a lot of unsaved people in this world that sometimes seem to be offering a lot more love than some of those that are supposed to be Christians. But I can promise you this. You'll never be able to. To love, no matter how well you can love in the flesh, you'll never be able to love completely without the love of Christ. When you love Christ more, you won't love your wife less. You'll love her more. A wife will never, ever be cheated of affection and love because that her husband puts Christ first in his love because Christ is the first love. And that bride that really has that same love for her husband and for the Lord will want Christ to be the first love, the supreme love, because he'll be able to love her. He might, he might love you in a great way, and he may sacrifice, but I promise you, if Christ is in his life, he can love more perfectly and more fully and more completely than ever. Here, he is describing that affection that he has this one that is like no other in his life. And then notice what he goes on to say, until the day break and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. He wants to take her, <laughs> we use the term to those heavenly places. <laughs> I mean, until this day's shadow, until this comes to an end, I want to take you to the highest places. I want to take you to the heavenly places. Do we realize that's exactly what the Lord Jesus is saying to us? 
He wants to take us to heavenly places that we've never experienced the wonder, the beauty, all of this. He loves us so much. And listen, even though I know it's hard to grasp and understand, God loves us all perfectly, and you're special in your own way, but understand this. He loves you uniquely in a special way. We're all the bride of Christ. He loves us all equally, male or female. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter what color our skin is. It doesn't matter if we've been saved a day or a hundred years. Do we understand? You can't get better than perfect love. You can't get better than unconditional agape love that is all about you. That's the way he loves you. And this picture that, that King Solomon is painting of his bride is the same kind of picture that he's wanting us to see. That's how unique you are. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, it wasn't just for a world in general. It was for Sean. It was for Peter. It was for Jackie. I could go right through. It was for Andrew. Each one of your names. He died for you because you had that unique, special place in his heart. He loved you individually enough that he died for you so that he could have a personal relationship with you. Today, this picture that is being drawn, yes, it is the way that we should see our wives, men. She should have that unique place that no other has. And it's also the way that as we look at this, that our Lord sees us when he looks at us. We want to take her to the best. We want her to be the best, and so does Christ for us. That's the appraisal that we see of the bride here. That's his thoughts on the special place of his bride. But I want you to look not only at the appraisal of her, but the affection for the bride. His appraisal of the bride, but his affection for the bride. You see, he's not just appreciative of her appearance, though it's like none other. There's nobody that's as beautiful to him as this one. But he's also, he's also appreciative of everything that she is, that which makes her what she is. He says in verse 7, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. There is no spot in the, do you know that when we're there for us to be consummated with our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ, at that point, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, listen, I mean, I know people have different ideas, and, 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 and in the end, it won't really matter because he'll get it right whether we do or not. But when that trumpet sounds, and we're out of here, and as we... Go to meet him in the air. He says, we'll be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. All that mortal is going to put on immortality, praise God. We're going to have that body that's like his. Sin is going to be a thing of the past. When we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb, guess what? You're going to be just like this bride here. You're going to be without spot because of the Lamb, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You're going to be robed, and you're going to have that perfect body, that sinless body that none of us have experienced yet. He says, 
Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shinar, from Hermon, from the lion's den, from the mountains of the leopards. You see, Lord, I've chosen you. I want you to be my companion. I want you to go with me everywhere I go. From the mountaintops to the dens, we're together in this. Come and come with me, my fair. Verse 9, he says, Thou art, thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. You see, first of all, the term sister here was a term of endearment. It spoke of the purity. She was, again, like no other to him. And this relationship he is speaking of her, his affection towards her, and he's speaking of here that she has literally, he says here with, uh, with, with one eye, with, with one look, love at first sight. That's what we might say today. With one link of that necklace, that's all it takes to hold me, honey. And I'm going to take a long chain. I mean, it just took one look. And one little link of that necklace, man, I'm bound to you. I'm yours. He goes on and he says in verse 12, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain planted. A garden closed, a private place. That private place of pleasure that's not meant for, for anybody else. I got news for you. The bride of Christ, the church today, is Christ's own private property. It's enclosed and protected by the walls of his mighty power and his love. It's separated from this world unto him. Just as this one, she was, she was his. She wasn't for anybody else out there. This was their private they were there for each other and each other alone. He talks about a garden enclosed, my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed, treasures possibly never, ever, ever released before just for this groom and his bride. Verse 15, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters and streams from Lebanon, channel through which crows flows those streams of living water that the Bible speaks so much of us about in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Really, in all of this, verses 12 to 15 here, this private garden, this enclosed garden, it's, it's describing the imagery of a locked garden. Yes, of purity, of virginity. It's, it's this locked garden that's there, these fruits and these pleasures that are there for marriage and nowhere else. That's the way God meant it. And it's meant not to be a, an ugly thing, but a beautiful thing. And you know what? God gives man and husband that way down here. But your relationship with Jesus Christ is so personal and so intimate with him that it's for you, for you to have that relationship, for you to know how important you are to him, for you and him. They have that special intimacy where you know, you know that he's always there for you. 
You know that there's absolutely nothing that can separate you and the two of you together. You see, that is her character. And we see also in these verses her influence that she ravished his heart. It's the only place in all the Bible that that word is, is used there. He had yielded his heart to her and she had taken it away. We can only love him because he first loved us. It all comes back to the heart. She succeeded in captivating and keeping his heart. In our relationship with Jesus today, it's not a mechanical thing. It's not a religious ceremonial thing. It's a love thing. It's a relationship. He captures our heart by his great love for us, and we in turn love him in the same way. Yes, it takes a ravishing of hearts in both directions, doesn't it? He's already shown us. The Bible, he proved his love to us. He's shown us how much that he, that he loves us. Has your wife captivated your heart today? Literally, literally, with her looks, with one of thine eyes. That one look. I mean, one look at her is like you can't look at anybody else in all the world. Can it be that same look of that special one in your life? That look with one chain of thy neck, that one link, man, you're bound. <laughs> There's nothing that can break you apart. With her love, looking, looking with the heart, not with just the eyes, with her lips, the, the words that nobody else could say them the way that she can say them. You see, the sanctification takes place in the heart, the setting apart for that one. We are sanctified. We are set apart from this world unto Jesus Christ. That can only take place in the heart, but it's the same thing in the reality of our relationships, the husband and the wife in this world. It's the love in the heart. It'll separate you. It'll separate her from all the other women in the world. Nobody, nobody else will be like that one. You see, there is nobody else that can have that, that same influence upon you today. Notice this. We've seen the, the appraisal of the, of the bride and the affection of the bride, but I want to show you here in verse 16 the appeal of the bride. The appeal, awake, O north wind, and come thou south. Blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. After showing his praise and his passion for his bride, she has an intense desire that she might be worthy of him. And, of course, I think that's the case in all of our relationships so often, but none like that of the bride and the groom. You feel unworthy for the other one's love. <laughs> you feel unworthy for what the Lord has, has given you so wondrously. You want to be worthy. You want somehow to, to be better in, 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 in their eyes and and that's what he's wanting here. See, from the coming of the wind spiritually, the desire, 
the desire, the Holy Spirit, the conviction, the comfort to, in our relationship with the Lord to take us to that place that we can be more worthy of him. The outflowing of the spices here, the new graces, we, we call it many times in the Bible the fruits of the Spirit, that we become part of what he is. That it's not, you know, all this wondrous and beauty that he's given us and it's all here, but he's praying for these winds to come and blow it out so that others can experience it. You see, your fair lady, guys, she'll make you like nobody else. She'll have more influence on you than anybody else in all of the world. We should appreciate. We should love. We should desire to be worthy of that kind of love and that kind of that kind of affection, the satisfaction of both. His garden, <laughs> she's his, and all that she has, all that she is for him. You see, if only the Lord would come into our lives to make personal all those products, those fruits of the Holy Spirit were not our own. We are His. We belong to Him. It's more important. He's more important to us than, than we are to ourselves. And it's the same in our relationships down here. You see, literally here it's an invitation. An invitation by the maiden. Spiritually, the invitation by us as, as the bride. That this relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ, that it would be consummated for all of eternity. <laughs> that this is something that just as marriage is meant to be, the death do you part. There is no separation in this life. In life eternity, there is to be no separation in our relationship with him. Two become one. No more two. No more twain but one, inseparable. And I've shared before, there, where the Bible speaks of that in Genesis, that literally is like two metals welded together that no longer are separate in any way. They're just as much one as they can possibly be. No more two, but one. His only, or her only desire, the bride's only desire for him is that they can be more at one, <laughs> that their hearts can be more together that there could never be any separation. That should be our natural desires for our fair ladies in this life, but also with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have the answer in chapter 5, verse 1. The answer by the groom to the bride. I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse, I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O oh friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O oh beloved. You see, her heart is for him. But his heart is to be there for her. He, he comes. He comes into that garden, that private garden of hers, that's nobody else's. He comes there and he accepts all that she has offered to him. 
He accepts it. He invites, he desires for others to share, to eat, to drink abundantly. You see, it's just like our lives down here. You could love that one so much that you just want to take her away from the whole world. <laughs> Nobody else can see her. Nobody else can have her. She's yours. What he's picturing here is, oh, there is no relationship like the one that we have. But you want others to experience the joy of that relationship. It's just like down here. You don't, nothing, nothing can separate or break into that relationship that you have with your spouse, with your fair lady. Nobody, nobody, nobody. But you want others to be a part of the joy that you share together, to experience that joy, not to intrude upon the relationship, but to be able to have their own. You see, it's not just for you to be happily married, but for others to be happily married. Not just for you to be happy, but for others to be happy. And I hope that on this Mother's Day that we can recognize and appreciate the ladies in our life. And, you know, I never even really thought about it until I started studying and preparing this passage this week. And I, and I began to look at the verse, and, and I began, first of all, I topped the title out, Behold, Thou Art Fair, My Lady, just using the first words of the verse. It came to me, my, my Fair Lady. I know it wasn't meant to be spiritual, but, you know, in so many ways, even that story that was written in 1913 and brought to the stage in 1964 by that great writer, he was the one that, he was the well-respected, high-renowned professor. But his wager was that he could take this nobody girl, this cockney flower girl, and turn her into something that the world would behold as a lady. You know, that's what the Lord would do to our lives. Doesn't matter where we come from. Doesn't matter how plain and ordinary to him, male or female, Sorry, guys. In this case, you're the bride. <laughs> you're the Lord's fair lady. <laughs> the Lord wants to turn you into something that you can't even imagine, something so dignified, so perfect, so holy. Men, can I encourage you this Mother's Day? Let your wives know how special they really are. Let them know how precious they are and what God has given you let no man put asunder. Nobody break it. Nobody. But if you're here today, you may or may not be married in this life. You may or may not have a whole lot of other things. And like I said in the very beginning, you may or may not still have that one with you that was so special. But you know what? <laughs> oh, if you've got that one called Jesus with you, <laughs> guess what? Guess what? It's only a temporary absence because of that relationship. You'll enjoy that again and count the joy of it, the blessings of it, the love of it, and let it just give you a stronger appetite than ever. One day, one day, because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, because of the hope 
of his coming for us again, just as Solomon came for his bride. He is coming for us again one day, and he will consummate this wedding, and we will be his for all of eternity in places that are higher and beyond anything that we've ever seen or known in this life. But you've got to accept the invitation. You see, just as your spouse maybe made that proposal to you one day, Jesus Christ has made that proposal to you individually, each one of you, to be his bride, to be his bride, to accept that. And that's what we still are. We are his bride. And one day, that wedding will be consummated at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We look for that day. We're excited about that day when he will return for us, just as he's promised. He's gone away for a while, but he's already asked us to be his bride, and he's already told us that he'll come back and get us. Have you accepted the proposal today? Do you know that? And you know, if you're here today, sons and daughters, realize how special that your mom is to the Lord and to you. Let her know how much you love her. Let her know how much... Maybe she's failed you even. Maybe she's done some terrible things. Pray for her. Love her. The Bible says honor your mother and your father. Honor both of them. Honor them. Pray for them. Show them your love. Hopefully this passage can just help to rekindle the appreciation that we ought to have for our spouses and our moms down here, but also our relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a hymn in closing, and I, I kind of struggle debating over what, what should we sing to close out. And, I, and, I, and I've chosen this song, which we sing sometimes around here. And you know, today, today, if you've messed up maybe in your relationships down here, I know the song is not specifically talking about that, but if you've blown it, you haven't been the husband or the son or the daughter or the wife that you ought to be. Songwriter says there's room at the cross for you. That's where you're going to get it sorted. You need God's help. But if you're here today and you've never accepted his proposal, his invitation to you to be his fair lady, then you can do so today. There's room at the cross for you because his love, his arms are so great. He has invited you to come. So today, as we sing this, this, this closing hymn together, can I invite you that, you know, maybe you can just need to do business with God right there where you are, but maybe, maybe you need to come and pray. Maybe you need to give something to God, or maybe you'd like somebody to pray with you. The only thing I'm concerned with is that God's spoken to your heart. Listen to it. Act upon it. Do what God would have you to do, because I can assure you right now, Right here today, saved person, lost person, there's room at the cross for you. And Jesus is waiting with outstretched arms as we stand and as we sing together.